2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. I'll try my best to preach what I feel this, this morning, what I believe the Lord wants us to hear. And I hope and pray that when we leave here, you leave here challenged and changed and with greater understanding today. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I would dare say you've heard this preached before, but I'm hoping to maybe not break new ground, but maybe revisit some old ground. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. The Bible says, Paul's writing, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me or to beat me. That's, a, that's not buffet like a buffet table. That's buffet like beat. Amen. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And this is what God said to him. By the way, it's red-lettered. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response was this right here. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I have a simple thought, a simple yet very profound thought today. And it's not profound because I'm bringing it, it's profound because it's glorious. I've come to preach to us this morning. He is enough. He is enough. Turn to somebody and tell them, say, He is enough. Come on, tell them like you mean it. He is enough. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. If you were to ask a theologian today what grace is, he no doubt would respond that it is the unmerited favor of God towards man. If I learned anything in Bible college, I learned what grace was. That was the one, uh, one of three definitions or one of three key points that my instructors pushed us to understand. That grace is the unmerited or undeserved favor of God towards us. When I say that, you need to understand something, and I know many of you do, but I need everybody to understand that grace is not a commodity to be traded. It is not a check to be earned. It is not a good or service to be exchanged. It is not a product to be purchased. Grace is undeserved. You and I cannot do anything to earn God's favor. There's nothing, or, or let me say that, God's grace, if I can say it like that, we can't deserve, we can't earn God's divine grace. There's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't give enough to the church. We can't do anything to earn His, pre His precious gift called grace. I wish I could tell you that if you put a certain number of hours of prayer in a day, you can earn God's, God's grace, but you can't. 
The truth of the matter is, is it flows unhindered from the throne of heaven. It comes straight from the cross of Calvary. And you and I can't earn it and don't deserve it. I'm thankful today that I know what grace is. The truth of the matter is, I'm not the only one in the building. We've all been lost and undone. But by the grace of God, we're here today. By His unfathomable grace, by His de- the deep riches of His grace, we are here this morning. I-, I-, I want you to know that grace is not something to shun. Many times, especially in apostolic circles, we get nervous when the preacher talks about grace because we think grace is at odds of holiness. But the reality is grace makes us and calls us to be holy. It's grace that extends a hand to us and says, you be holy for as I am holy. You be like me. You learn to live like me and walk like me and talk like me and you don't have enough power to do it but I'll give you my grace uh, so that you can be uh, what I've called you to be. I thank God for grace. Oh I know it's an old hymn. I know it goes way back uh, but the old song says it best. It's still amazing grace. Uh, How sweet the sound. Oh I'm thankful today for God's amazing grace. Hallelujah. I recently, though, discovered a new definition of grace. Or maybe I should say another definition of grace. Maybe it's a little wider. Maybe it's not the technical one. But I, I want to share it with you today. You really want to know what grace is? If the theological definition's too much for you, let me just explain it this way. Grace is God's divine ability to make up the deficit. Now... Don't raise your hand. But has anybody ever run out of money? There we go. We got some people volunteering names. Praise God. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've run out of money before. Amen. Yeah. There's been times that I thought, ooh, I didn't expect that bill to come in. I just built a house in the dumbest time ever to build a house. And you you go and get a bid, and three months later, that bid's doubled. And you're going, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money. I don't know if I'm going to be insufficient to get it. Well, let me tell you, if you know what that feels like, maybe... Or if you don't know what that feels like, maybe you know what it's like to feel insufficient in a situation or a circumstance. You would like to be able to fix it, but you don't have enough resources to fix it. You don't have enough wisdom to fix it. You don't have enough Jesus to fix it because you're dealing with flesh and you're thinking, I don't know if I can fix this. That's when grace steps in. It's God's divine ability to make up for your deficit. I've only got this much, God. I don't. I, I can't do it, God. I need you. I've only got this much faith. I've only got this much. I, I don't have enough to fix it. And God says, that's okay. Let me give you a little 
grace to make up the deficit. God, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't have enough to be perfect. I don't have enough to be holy. And that's when the Savior says, that's okay. Let me step in called grace. Let me come to where you are and I'll make up the deficit. I'll make up the difference. I'll step in where your shortage ends and I'll make it well. I'll make it all right. I'll fill the gap. No man in Scripture understood grace better than Paul did. There's nobody in Scripture. Again, if you've you've come to church a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. Paul wasn't always Paul. When we first meet him in the book of Acts, chapter 7, his, his name is Saul. He's a young Pharisee. He's a young Jewish man who, who has at that time uh, an incredible theological education. He is the golden child of Judaism at this point. They uh, no doubt have big plans. Some even believe that Paul, before he came to Christ, was in line to be the high priest. He was a very talented, promising protege of some of the most incredible teachers of Jewish law at the time. And yet God gets a hold of this man who allows bitterness and allows a a, a misunderstanding to get into his spirit and begins to persecute the church. God steps in and says, Paul... Or you're going to have to understand something. I've got a different calling on you than what you logically assume to be your calling. I'm going to give you grace. I know you've persecuted the church, but grace is going to step in. I know you've, 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 you've kicked against the pricks, as, as, as uh, Acts 9 and 5 says. But, but Paul, I'm going to give you enough grace to come in, and it's going to fix uh, all of your shortcomings. Paul, I know you think you got it together, but grace is about to get a hold of your life. Uh, and I'm going to use you for great things in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. We know that, and we don't have time to go through all of that. But it's very interesting that a few years later, Paul, on his missionary journeys, begins writing letters to churches that he founded. The Bible tells us that he writes two letters to the church in Corinth. We know them, these letters, as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He deals with sin. He deals with order. He does a lot of things in these writings. But toward the last chapters of 2nd Corinthians, the last time he writes that we know of, that he writes to the church in Corinth, He tells them, he becomes very transparent with them. He tells them that this grand apostle, this grand church founder, this incredible man of God has a little bit of a chink in his armor. He begins to relay to them that the reality is I've got a thorn in my flesh. This is not a literal thorn in the flesh. I'm not talking about a piece of wood sticking out of his side. That would have been easy to remove. But there's something that Paul was dealing with, even though he was an incredible man of God, even though God used him mightily. The truth is there was a problem in Paul's life. We don't know what it was. Some think uh, it was an ailment in his body, maybe a sickness in his body. Which would be interesting because Paul prayed. Oh God, Paul prayed. And people were healed. He saw people raised from the dead. And yet Paul's walking around with a sickness in his body. Some think it may have been problems with his family. We don't know what it was. But Paul, the great apostle, dealt with something that caused him to ask God. I need you to remove this. Such was the burden that he didn't just ask once or twice. But three times he went to God and said, God, this is 
too big for me to bear. This is too much for me. I don't have what it takes to carry this load. And God finally looks at him and says, Paul, I need you to get a revelation of something greater than my identity. I need you to understand my grace is sufficient for thee. Now when we read that word sufficient, I always think it's like just enough. But that's not what it means. It literally means he has enough to cover any and every deficiency. It's not, I just, you know, we're going to, me and God are going to get in the corner and we're going to go through our can of change and we're going to just eke out enough to get a cup of coffee and we'll just have sufficient funds for the price. We'll just get just, in, no, 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 that's not what it is. God's saying to, to this incredible apostle, he's saying, Paul, uh, I know you don't have enough strength. Uh, I know you don't have enough ability. Uh, you don't have enough to bear this burden. Uh, but where your shortcoming ends, uh, I'm going to pick up the slack. Uh, and every day you get up, uh, I'm going to be sufficient. Uh, I'm going to be what you need. Uh, I'm going to make up the deficit. Uh, I'm going to make up the difference in your life, Paul. Uh, you just keep being faithful. You just keep living for me. Uh, you just keep walking this road. Uh, my grace uh, is sufficient for you. You see, Paul got the same revelation that Moses did in Exodus chapter 3. Oh, we love Exodus chapter 3. We love talking about that burning bush experience that Moses had uh, with God Almighty. Uh, he turns aside to see this bush that's burning but not consumed. Uh, and God speaks out of the bush to him and calls him uh, for great things in Egypt. Uh, this man comes face to face with something he's been running from uh, for 40 years. Uh, and now God speaks and says, Hey, you're going back uh, to the land of your father's captivity. Uh, and you're going to command Pharaoh to let my people go. And if you read chapters 3 and 4, you'll see a list of things and reasons and concerns that Moses had. Uh, well, what if they say they don't what if they don't realize who sent me? What if they what if they laugh at me? I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know if I've got what it takes. I can't even talk right, God. I, I just I, list after list, excuse after excuse. Uh, and God looks at him and says, You want to know something? When you step into Egypt, I want you to go uh, with the understanding first and foremost uh, of whose name uh, you're declaring. Uh, it is this moment that we see the divine revelation of the name of God in no other form like we've seen it up to this point. Uh, he looks at Moses out of the burning bush and says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. The Tetragrammaton, Jews know it. The Hebrews quote it. Uh, it is the most sacred, one of the most sacred texts in their Torah because they, they recognize it's the name of God. We translate it in our English Bible as I am that I am. In reality, a better translation would be I will be what I will be. In other words, God looks at Moses and says, Moses, I will be whatever you need. Quit worrying about the job description. Quit worrying about the enormity of the situation. I will be whatever you need to be. 
Now we claim to be people of the name. We claim to be Pentecost, apostolic Pentecostals, oneness Pentecostals. Uh, we believe that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You and I need to go back to the understanding uh, that everything we need uh, is in Him. Uh, His grace uh, is sufficient. Uh, he uh, is enough. Uh, he's enough to cover my sin. Uh, he's enough to cover my sickness. Uh, he's enough to cover my fear. Uh, he's enough to cover my shortcomings. He's enough to cover my problems. He's enough to cover my hunger. He's enough to cover my needs. He is enough. His grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. It's amazing that the gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the word the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the light was the light of men. Uh, he goes on further to say, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus God manifest in flesh comes to this earth as light. He pierces the darkness of spiritual wickedness uh, and he declares himself uh, to be the word made flesh and full of grace. We stop there but keep reading because the gospel written by the apostle John says that John, speaking of John the Baptist, bear witness of him and cried saying this was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And this is what John the Baptist preached. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. Now, if you read it in the King James Version, you miss it. Because I've missed it for years until I got to studying it. What that verse literally means, what verse 16 literally means... His fullness, the Word made flesh, came and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. We recognized He was full of grace and truth. It's the fullness of God made manifest. Everybody with me so far? We received that same fullness when we saw Him, when we knew Him. We knew Him to be the fullness of God. But we didn't learn that on a whim. It didn't just come automatic. It was Grace, another translation, several translations translate it like this. It was grace upon grace. That means that God gave grace to get you to the next level. And then when you got there and realized you didn't have enough, grace showed up again to get you to the next level. Okay, I'll say it like this. As you're walking in in harmony with God and you're trying to be faithful and you're trying to live for Him. When you take a step, you don't know what the next step is going to be per se. Uh, but God gives you enough grace to take another step. Uh, he makes up the deficit. To, well, I may stumble and fall at this step. That's okay. He's going to give you enough grace to get you back up and you're going to see the fullness of who He is. Grace upon grace. Uh, it's a building project. Uh, God is building us with grace. He's enough, folks. Uh, I, I know 
know tomorrow you may make a mistake, uh, but he'll be enough to get you through tomorrow. Uh, And next week you may stumble and fail, but I'll go ahead and tell you his grace is enough uh, to get you on to the next step. Uh, It's the fullness of God, grace upon grace, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept uh, is what the ancient author said. Uh, It's the same idea that John's talking about. Uh, We receive him uh, grace upon grace. Paul understood what grace was and he writes about it to the church in Ephesus. It's interesting, he understood what grace was because he had had grace showed up too many, show up too many times in his life. To the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 he begins to write and he, folks he don't paint a pretty picture. He writes and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He labels them. He said, we've all messed up. We've all served the wrong God. But this is what he said. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. He said, I know you didn't deserve it. I know you didn't have enough to get yourself out of the predicament that you're in. He goes on to talk about them being strangers and foreigners, aliens from the promises of God without hope in the world. He talks about all of it. But he makes it very clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by grace you're saved. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show, get this, just enough of his grace to his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. If you're reading your Bible, you know I didn't read it right. He says, no, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Folks, he's rich enough in grace to cover whatever deficit you have. Well, Pastor, I'm struggling right now with addiction. Don't you worry about that. His grace is big enough to cover it. Well, Pastor, I don't know. I, I'm struggling with this and that. That's okay. Your grace, His grace is sufficient to cover it. Well, Pastor, I'm in a situation that I can't logically get myself out of. That's okay. His grace will cover it. Well, well Pastor, I, I don't know. I, I've got a lot more questions than I do answers. Let me go ahead and tell you. His grace is sufficient. Well, I got pain in my body. His grace is sufficient. Well, I'm struggling with why God took this one and God took that one. His grace is sufficient. Hey, my friend, it's the exceeding riches of his grace. It's not just enough to cover the the bill. It's the exceeding riches of his grace. In other words, you can't go too far. You can't descend too low. You can't get out of his arm's reach. He has exceeding riches with his grace. There's no such thing as too little for Jesus. He is enough. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by His grace. In other words, I can't get myself out of this. And I, I'm sorry to say I can't, you, I can't get you out of it. But I know God's grace is able to resurrect your situation. He is enough. He is enough. Well, Pastor, I'm struggling. I know you're struggling, but he is enough. 
He can make up the deficit. He can fix. He can. He he can make up the difference. I know you're struggling, but but just keep on pulling because because he's strong enough. That's why Jesus made it very clear. You need to be yoked with me. For my yoke is light. My burden is easy. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm telling you, it does matter who you're pulling with. <laughs> it does matter who you're pulling with. You've got to have somebody that can pull you out of the muck and the mire. I'll tell you, the only person that can do that is Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. He is enough. Now, I just saw something this morning. I hope I can make sense of it. You want to know how grace works? Let me explain how grace works. If you go to Ezekiel 28, 13. Ezekiel begins to prophesy what is called the king of Tyre. He talks about the prince of Tyre first. and I believe it's the first 10 or 11 verses. Then he starts prophesying against the king of Tyre. And as you study it, you realize he's not talking about an actual physical king. There's no way he can. He describes things that a, a, a mortal man could not have experienced. Commentators tell us, we through study, we realize that he's not talking about a physical king. He's talking about Lucifer himself. He talks about Lucifer being the cherub that covered in the whole nine yards. But he says something that's very interesting. He says, Lucifer, the workmanship of your tabrets and your pipes was in the, in the day that thou wast created. Lucifer, the, the, the word there translated workmanship talks about how he's created or how he how he works okay Lucifer is created with tabrets and pipes in other words he's got tambourines tabrets or tambourines or pipes the the musical instrument used for dancing okay playing and dancing so he's a musical he is a he's not just playing music the way he's created he is music everywhere he walks everywhere he goes and his job is to, the Bible says, the cherub that covereth, the anointed cherub that covereth. It literally means he is the anointed angel that protects God's glory. If you study the way he's laid out, every jewel that, and piece of gold, everything that, that he's decorated at is used to reflect God's glory. In his, every time he would worship before the throne of God, he would be a reflection of God's glory. Throughout eternity, they would see the glory of God being reflected. That was his job. His workmanship was to play and dance. His workmanship was to give glory to God. But did you know that the Bible also talks about God's workmanship? There's one place it talks about Lucifer's workmanship, but there's another place it talks about God's workmanship. Throw Ephesians 2 and 10 up there. I don't know if you saw it when you were reading. But Ephesians 2 and 10 says this. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship. Lucifer's workmanship was to sing and dance before the glory of God. God's workmanship are fallible human beings that have sinned, messed up, made mistakes, that he saved by grace. Did you catch it? In other words, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Lucifer was created perfectly. His workmanship was to show or reveal the glory of God. His, his workmanship, His job was to proclaim the glory of God and He failed. 
He allowed iniquity or rebellion to get in him. He exalted his will above God's will and God said, not anymore. You will not come before my glory again. But then God kneels in the dirt and creates human beings out of dust. He breathes life into them. And it's not just a few moons later, they're sinning and falling away from God and trying to exalt their will against God's. And God said, that's okay, cover them with grace. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. You want to know what the workmanship of God is? Uh, it's people like you and I who, are made, who have made mistakes, uh, who have got insufficiencies, uh, who don't have enough in the bank uh, spiritually or otherwise uh, to do it on our own. Uh, but God shows up and says, let me show my workmanship through you. Uh, I will make up the difference. Uh, I will show you what a good God is. Uh, I'll show you what a Savior looks like. Uh, I'll show you what a healer looks like. Uh, I'll show you what a deliverer looks like my workmanship is to reveal my grace and my goodness through humanity hey folks we are his workmanship because of his grace he is enough let's stand all over this building Jesus is enough he's not just enough he's more than enough And when you don't feel like you're enough, good enough, spiritual enough, talented enough, righteous enough, holy enough, praying enough, fasting enough, Jesus is enough. I believe in the favor of God. I believe you can can consecrate and God loves a consecrated heart. I do believe that. But at the end of the day, even I don't care how consecrated you are, you and I will still fall short. That's why Paul wrote and said this. For all have sinned. And come what? Short. I've come short of the glory of God. I'm not sure I've read it right all my life. I've always read those as two identical statements. We've all sinned and come short. But maybe maybe it shouldn't be read that way. Maybe it's a statement that we've all sinned. And even on our best days, we still come short. I'm not trying to make a doctrine. I'm just trying to show you something. We've all sinned and come short. But oh, I know a God that steps in and says, Oh, you're short a little bit today. My grace is sufficient. I'm enough. Have you ever wondered how people could Give everything and still live for God. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you today. I'm I'm a spoiled North American pastor. I've never served jail time for Jesus. I've never been persecuted for my belief. I don't have to worry about who hears me pray. God's blessed me and my family. we, we, We don't have to worry about where the next meal's coming. We have cars to drive. We're still we're argu- we're complaining about gas prices, but we hadn't stopped. I can go to the grocery store right now and buy something for lunch. And the truth of the matter is, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. God's blessed us. And it's easy to make a statement, God, I'll die for you. 
But I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have enough grace. Or I don't know if I could have enough consecration. Let me say it like that. If I can have enough consecration to look at a cross and say, you can't crucify me like that. you got to turn it upside down. I can't be crucified like my Jesus did, like the Apostle Peter said. I'll be honest. I think I would try to run away and hide if I knew that death was inevitable for just being here today preaching. I don't know if, if, if I'm being honest. And what brings it all up is I had a preacher who I highly respect this week tell me this. He said, teaching a class, and he said, he said, guys, I, I'll be honest, I had this, I had this incident with God, this moment with God, and he said, I told God, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to give it all up, God. I, I like being spoiled. I like doing all this, and it got me thinking. And God looked at the bishop that was teaching us, and he said, Brother Morgan, you're right. You don't have enough grace. You probably wouldn't die for me today. But Bubba, don't worry because my grace will be there when that day comes. Folks, I need God's grace now more than ever. Church, we need His grace. Grace is salvific. Yes, we are saved by grace. But can I go ahead and tell somebody today that every day you and I live, we need His grace. Because I've learned, I struggle with holiness. I'm not talking about standards. I, I don't struggle with standards. I got those down, but I do struggle with holiness. I struggle with right attitude sometimes. I struggle with, with, with bitterness sometimes and, and, and frustration. I struggle with all that. And I need His grace to come in and say, Jordan, it's going to be okay. My grace is still sufficient. When you're struggling, I'll still make up the difference. You just live for me. You just stay faithful to me. You just keep on walking. Uh, my grace is going to cover it. My grace is going to get you there. My grace has saved you, uh, and it's going to keep you. Uh, and when the day comes uh, for you to step over glory, it'll be grace uh, that'll bridge the gap. Uh, just stay uh, in my grace. Uh, I am enough. Church, he's enough this morning. He's enough this morning. Whatever you have need of, He's enough. Whatever you walked in struggling against, He's enough. Whatever the need may be, don't you worry. His grace is big enough to make up the deficit. He is enough. If you're here this morning and you need, a, you, need a, you need an extra dose of grace, if you need God's grace to cover you, I open this altar this morning. There's no, there's no, there's no shame and condemnation for needing a little grace this morning. If you need to pray, this altar is open. I invite you to step out of your seat and come fall at the feet of the one whose grace is sufficient. I adjure you like the Apostle Paul. Find yourself in a prayer closet with Jesus this morning. And let him remind you uh, his grace uh, is sufficient. Uh, he's enough today. Uh, he's enough today. Uh, he's enough today. All over this building, would you begin to call out on, on, on his name? Uh, would you begin to pray? Would you begin to seek his face? Uh, these altars are open this morning. Uh, would you begin to call out on him right now? Uh, his grace is sufficient.